This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, I'm here to spread a little holiday cheer to each and every one of you. Today's guest is Sean Harris, lead vocalist for the Oakland, California band, The Matches. Together, Sean and I break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind their 2003 single, December is for Cynics, taken from the compilation album, A Santa Cause, It's a Punk Rock Christmas. It was awesome catching up with Sean. We last saw each other around 15 years ago while on tour together, and it was like we didn't miss a beat, picking up right where we left off. He shares the story of working at a brand new studio with a new producer, and how this helped shape the overall vibe of the song. I'm not even sure Sean realized how many different parts and layers were going on in this song until I started dissecting it. It takes you on a ride from note one until the end. The lyrics are cynical and admittedly pompous in parts, which I feel give the song a charm all its own. And how do you go from talking about ugly holiday sweaters and mocking people singing Christmas carols to referencing John Lennon's ghost and backwards messages from the Beatles? Well, somehow the matches did. For all this in a bottle of NyQuil, stay tuned. What's up, Sean? Hi, Chris. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we last played a show in San Francisco at a venue that's I don't think exists anymore. Yeah, and would that have been around 06, 07? Yeah, that sounds about right. And who were we on the road with? I know we did. It was a, it was a tour together. I don't think it was an, a one-off show, was it? It was, it was a couple shows, I thought. Yeah, I think it was a few shows. Was it Goldfinger? Were you, did we do a few shows with Goldfinger? I, I Man, it's it's so many moons ago. Between us? I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. But we, 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 <laughs> have, we have played together. We have history. And uh, how, how are you? What's been going on? Uh, pretty, oh, man. Since 2007? <laughs> since two, yeah, since I last talked to you. Just get, let's go. Yeah, let's do the rundown by the year. <laughs> you got one minute condensed version, then we'll jump in here. All right, let's go. I, uh, I, uh, the, 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 the matches went on hiatus. I moved to Australia where they still had record deals. Um, and then uh, this is when everything went to streaming. Uh, signed a record deal over there with a band called Maniac. Came back here, moved into, got married, moved into an Airstream. Uh, for two and a half years, traveled around the country in that, looking for where we wanted to live, uh, me and my wife and my dog, and then uh, uh, ended up in Joshua Tree. The matches did a reunion, uh, moved up back kind of close to home in the Bay Area where I live now in Half Moon Bay. 20 seconds. 20 seconds left. Uh, it put out, you know, started five <laughs> bands since then, but like, you know, the matches are still if I ever want anybody to actually listen to what I'm doing, still get together with them once in a while. <laughs> That's it. 
That's awesome, man. So you're, you are in California now. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was, uh, I don't know if I could have done the last 14 years that quickly. Good job. It's been pretty Good boring. Job. So, you um, know. <laughs> well, I, I want to give the listeners, uh, a little backstory on you guys, and uh, and then I want to say a couple things about your band and about you in particular. The Matches formed in Oakland, California in 1997. Their debut album, Yvonne Dahl Killed the Locals, was self-released in 2003 and then re-released on Epitaph Records when they signed the following year. So my uh, trusted producer, Chris Ophelios, uh, had written in the notes, It was this is around the first time that he personally... Uh, heard the matches because Punchline, Chris's band, was on a comp with you guys called A Santa Cause. It's a punk rock Christmas that was released by Immortal Records in 2003. I believe Immortal was a was an epic records imprint. Uh, the comp also had Blink-182, Newfound Glory, The Boss Tones, MXPX, Acceptance, Fall Out Boy, and a bunch of other bands. But the matches song stuck out to Chris because it was so unique. And to this day, it's his personal favorite Christmas song, which is the song that, uh, that we are going to talk about today which is December is for cynics uh, your second album decomposer came out in 2006 the album was recorded in various studios with nine different producers that's that's insane uh, including Mark Hoppus Brett Gurowitz Nick Hexum John Feldman and Tim Armstrong that record peaked at number 18 on the billboards independent albums chart and you guys did a bunch of touring in support of the record including several tours of Australia uh, Europe three warp tours and it was around that time that, uh, that we had hooked up and, and and done some shows less than Jake with the matches yep. the band released a band in hope in 2008, which was uh, once again a collaboration with several different producers. And then, as you said, you guys went on hiatus around 2009, but have reunited several times for shows and tours to celebrate anniversaries uh, of your albums. And something really cool that Chris uh, had told me about recently was there was a documentary uh, about the band called Bleeding Audio. Uh, I have not seen it yet. I, I've been meaning to tune in. Uh, it premiered at film festivals in 2020, and Chris said that, it, that, that it's awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, it, it's a uh kind of harrowing watching yourself on a big screen in front of people. We did, we went to two premieres. It kind of like bookended the the stay at home orders from the pandemic. Like the very last thing that we did was play the premiere in San Diego and then just like stayed home for a year and a half. And then uh, we recently uh, went to a follow-up in, in-person premiere at the Man's Chinese down in, uh, or, or is it called? No, Grauman's Chinese down in uh, theater down in yeah. Los Angeles. So that was a weird span where it's kind of still premiering because of this weird rollout. But <laughs> and how did that come about? Was this something that the band had spearheaded, or was this like a super fan that came and said, "Hey, I want to do a documentary. I love your band." Kind of somewhere in between. <laughs> there was a filmmaker who shot us for. She was like a student filmmaker uh, back in the in the two, early two thousands. She shot um, like a mini doc about the band. And actually, as it turned out, she ended up dating and then marrying our bass player. <laughs> so uh, she okay. uh, she's great. Her name's her, her name's Chelsea Christer. Keeping it in the family. Yeah, she's 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 great. But um, she has all the access that she wants <laughs> at this point. <laughs> she married into the access. But um, yeah, she was kind of shooting that stuff before. I, then, I would say so. And. <laughs> And have you found it's it's so interesting because yeah you guys have reunited and done some some reunions and whatnot but yeah. and, and and you celebrate some anniversaries of albums but f- have you found that the documentary has has kind of brought forth some new fans that maybe hadn't heard you the first go around uh, yeah definitely I mean it's yeah during the premieres the audiences were kind of at the festivals the audiences were kind of split like 
matches fans and uh, just sort of people that were there for the film festival. So it was funny being introduced to not grown up kids. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess we're all grown up kids, but you can you can like spot you you could definitely spot the sides of the room. It was almost like like going to a. Uh, it was almost like going to a sports event where like half of the crowd is wearing one set of color and, and the other half is wearing another colorway. You could like really see who was, who had been to Warp Tour before and who hadn't. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I, I played a festival recently where I looked out in the audience. I'm like, man, these people look old. And then I said to myself, if they look that old to me, how old do I look to them? <laughs> Because they're younger than me. I'm like, damn it. Um, uh, you know, I remember the time period well when you guys got signed. You know, we were doing uh, a record out in L.A. And Brett Gurowitz was, is really good friends of Rob Cavallo, who was doing our record. And I remember when Brett signed you. I remember him telling me, he said, this is the best band I've ever signed. And, huh. you know, I've, I've, I've told people uh, over the years and, and I'm going to choose my, my words carefully here because, you know, I, I, I don't this is just my opinion. But I don't say it to make you feel like, oh, the, the coulda, woulda, shoulda been. But y- your band was was amazing. You in particular. I told people uh, there's there's an it factor. There's a star factor. And, and you had it. You have it. You know, I used you, to. You I would, used to have. No, well, you. <laughs> <laughs> when you would hit the stage and, and uh, you were a great front man, the band was great. You guys were all rippers. And, uh, you know, it was, I I've talked about your band over the years, uh, probably, I don't know. Uh, I got th- three or four bands that I, I just think that, uh, that, that should have had more success, whatever your definition of success is. But I think you guys should have, should have been way more, way more well-known, just an amazing band. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I, I was, I'm definitely the worst musician, um, in the band. So <laughs> I guess that if I'm giving away my secrets, that's what it is. <laughs> what do you think it was with you guys? Because I, I kind of have a theory. I, I almost feel like, you know, you, you were somewhere between you, you had enough, and I, I hate using this as a generic term, but you had enough pop punk about you to kind of be included in that world. But yet you were you were just a little bit too avant garde for those folks. Your, your approach to your your rhythms and just this track in particular is just all over the place. It's insane. This song has so <laughs> much, so much to talk about, you know, and uh, I feel like you may have been a little highbrow for some people. Yeah, maybe. So. I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just like in general a music fan. We would go to Warp Tour and then like the next night, like go see like Michael Manring play jazz bass at Yoshi's or whatever. Like uh-huh. we would like we were equal parts like Warp Tour kids and uh, just fans of ever, any music we could get our hands on. So I think that kind of became that kind of showed itself through the music. But um, you can't do it alone. So we got enough support from the punk rock community to like, you know, get the epitaph deal and to go on tour with a lot of amazing bands um from from the scene but then like you know i think we were also eclectic enough to like make sense on tour with ska bands some metal bands some screamo bands some pop punk bands so we kind of got to split the difference and like do all the tours we didn't really make sense perfectly on any tour we ever did but um Uh but we did get to tour a lot which was fun and we got to meet a lot of great people and I love every genre. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, and it's cool that you, you use the word uh, jazz a moment ago to describe because uh, there are jazz elements within this song. There's a part 
in, in this track that's just it's so above what <laughs> my, <laughs> my band or a lot of the bands were doing back then just the level of musicianship with, with your band is it, it's incredible you know and this song i gotta ask who produced this track because i couldn't find it online because this song is not on any of your records it, it's considered a, a christmas uh-huh. song because it was on that comp but this is anything but a christmas song to me or, or a holiday song this song could have fit in nicely on a record who was the producer and, and what was the reason for not including it on a full length record this song's amazing yeah this one uh was produced by mike green some of his like most well-known so he did a bunch of stuff for paramore back in the day he did all-time low look him up you'll find a bunch of records you recognize he was a guy in a local band in the bay area they were called the stone cutters uh which i think is a simpsons reference um and he was just this like this savant incredible lead guitar player in kind of a mediocre local band but he was also a studio nerd and just like had had all this gear and was really eager to experiment with it so uh we recorded half of our first record yvonne doll killed the locals um with him we actually rec- and he he produced some songs on all on all three of our records so yeah we kind of had an ongoing production relationship with him um even when we started working with other producers he was becoming a bigger name producer at the time himself and he still does it to this day so you you guys as a band kind of just felt that this track was just going to be beyond the comp it didn't it wasn't worthy or you didn't want to include it on a record or we got asked to do it for the comp and i as i recall some of the songs on the comp were oh i think a lot of them were covers some of them were originals it was the option of like anything kind of christmas or new year's related or Hanukkah related or whatever, you know, that part of the season related, um, feel free to like throw your hat in the ring. And yeah, we heard, we heard some of the other bands that were going to be included. And we were like, I think this is worth like, I think we should go to the studio. There wasn't like, I think there was a, like, just a flat rate for being involved, whether you had already recorded the song or not. But, uh, but we were in the studio with Mike already. And we were like, Hey, can we like, get a little deal to do a, do a bonus track, do one extra, you know how those things go. And you, you never know how they're going to turn out, but um, I was excited to try to write an original and, uh, and it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, this song is just, and I want to know you, know, you, you had mentioned before you said, I'm the least uh, talented member of, of the band. I think you're being a little, little hard on yourself there, but with that said, Musically speaking, when you're talking about like, jazz things <laughs> happening and like polyrhythms and stuff that's the other guys yeah <laughs> well the, the, well that's what i was going to ask so is is your hand in this song lyrics and melody or did you have a, any anything to do with the music or was the music brought to you from someone in the band with the matches i generally come in with a dumb guitar part that's easy to play on an acoustic that i write to that we end up throwing out and completely replacing with other parts that we come up with together but that serves as just the kind of like the demo here's how the chord structure works um and oftentimes we don't we don't even just like use the chords but they're a good guide on what everybody like what scales everybody will play at certain times or whatever Mm -hmm. um so that part is all collaborative but yeah i'll come in with a song that i can just kind of like ham fist out on an acoustic guitar that has the vocal melodies and lyrics and general chord structure yeah and, and do you remember the writing process with this one how how to how to go down i remember recording it better than i remember writing it honestly mike green had this studio in north hollywood uh that he was just setting up and it was just this big empty kind of loft space there was 
crazy reverbs all around it. I think it must have been like it was like a hanger. It was like, but not fancy. It was it was kind of a mess and sort of bad for recording. I remember we would make these like little spaces. Like there was like a hallway that had carpet in it so we would that would be like the dry room and we would just like hang bed sheets around it like he hadn't set up the studio yet he just got it and it was a huge space and he had no money because he was just starting and had just moved to la from from the bay area to do to do this professionally um so yeah we were kind of his guinea pigs in that studio and he was like using this song because we, it, we weren't paying him much he was using this song as sort of like a way of testing out the space and getting things to sound and not terrible. So I remember experimenting a lot. And then we did use the big hangar room for like, I don't remember what exact reverbs we used in there, but we were like using like the sounds all around this place and just testing out mics in different places, which was really fun. Was this track to Pro Tools? Uh, I think he was on at that point. He's on Pro Tools now, I'm sure, but he was on like Cakewalk, I think at that time. Okay. Which was okay. uh, a, a, what do you what do you call it a um, D A W? It was a yeah, it was yeah. a it was a DAW like that. I don't think exists anymore. <laughs> for the for the listeners, a DAW is a digital audio workstation. So there he wasn't using Pro Tools, but he but he but he was recording digitally. He could chop parts up and move them around. Yeah, we were we were playing with chopping. Yeah, yeah. You're hearing a little bit of that too, um, with okay. the, how the song is kind of stitched together. Yeah. I kind of thought that it was it was recorded digitally and it wasn't uh, done to tape, but I but I had to ask. And what was Mike's role in this song? Because, man, I got to tell you, this this song was brought to my attention about a year ago. Chris has been wanting to get you on the show for for a while now. We we both have. And I heard this song and I was like, what did I just hear? It's <laughs> it's so it's it's so eclectic and so like the the parts rarely happen twice in this song. And how did this get off the, the the ground floor like you presented the idea you you had your your uh w w i don't know what term you use was it lumpy uh, acoustic guitar chords or whatever you bring into the band <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden it turns into how did it get to this part and, and what was mike's role in that like i said he was uh, he was trying to figure out what parts of his studio sounded good and what parts of it sounded bad and what you know like it, trying to figure out a bunch of gear that he had just bought or borrowed and all this stuff. So <laughs> it was like, you know, sometimes you walk into it, you go to a studio and it's, you know, you've paid for a certain amount of time and you're like, Oh man, we got to get it done by six o'clock tomorrow. Otherwise we're over budget or whatever, you know, like there are those situations in studios. And this was not that this was very much like we we're already working on a couple things and we were, and, and our producer was like, okay, now let's try it over here. Now let's try it over here and not charging us extra for that um which led to being able to experiment with like a lot of different sounds and a lot of different things and I, I like i remember there's like a there's like a jangly like arpeggio thing that that john devoto our lead guitar player does at a certain point in the song and i like kind of vividly remember them being in like the big open room and like playing around with that part of the song and i remember like walking in the room and being like i don't even know where rhythmically this goes in the song like are they playing the same <laughs> song that i brought in like i remember the, and then like justin's bass part is like similarly doing a lot of like crazy walking around in like the sort of jazzy way and i, I remember at certain times being like 
Are they working on the same song I brought in? Um, yeah, well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that guitar part <laughs> okay, you're talking cool. about, and, it, and, it, and it's so funny. It's so funny that you you talk about being the guinea pigs, and it, he's trying to experiment in this new room. He just moved down from the Bay Area. He's trying to figure out his studio and figure out you know what sounds good, where the mics, where the sweet spots are. Yeah, that is so evident now when I listen to this song because man, there's like. 30 riffs in this yeah, thing there's, totally. there's parts coming in and out it's it's very uh, i'll use the word schizophrenic it's kind of all over the place For sure. but it works but it works it's such a it's it's such a cool piece of music uh the song is three minutes and 29 seconds for the first three seconds of the song there's like this octave just this cool octave guitar sound and at the four second mark you let out this like ah this like soft shriek <laughs> I put my notes like, like, ah, like what, well, I don't even really know what you're saying there, but it's cool. The five second mark, there's this chugging guitar that's swirling between the speakers. And uh, then there's a guitar lick that's panned left and a guitar lick that's panned right. That almost sounds like a keyboard. Uh, this is happening while the drums and the bass are holding down this killer groove. And that guitar off to the right, I don't know if that's the one you're talking about. It's kind of like this arpeggiated thing. It almost sounds like something out of a horror movie, like Halloween or something. You know, and I'm like, this is supposed to be a cheerful holiday song. This sounds eerie as hell. Yeah, I think there's a there's a kind of a there's a nice tradition of like ghosts and horror seeping into uh, into the Christmas holiday. You know, we kind of like start to get stoked for the holidays when when Halloween hits, sort of like marks the beginning of holiday season. And then, and I love and I love the like entertainment that that you know like Christmas Carol and 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 like Nightmare Before Christmas. How that how just the holiday just kind of that season just sort of rolls into this one. Thing. So yeah, there is a little horror in there. Well, and and the, the the just the first twenty four seconds of this song is just like, what am I hearing, and where is this going? And then all of a sudden, you're into verse one at the twenty five second mark. I'm going to read out these lyrics, and 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 I want you to decipher these for me and tell me what's going on. Sure. Black frames. To stare out, mod lang slang to wear out, scoff at squares and sweaters. Ho ho ho, we're so much better. <laughs> What's going on in your sick, twisted uh, mind, Sean? Yeah, I've got a little. I've got a little bit of a bit of that Mike Park. I miss the bus energy. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't have put those two two uh analogies together but okay. Yeah, I mean uh Mod Lang was a was a record store a record store that I shopped at in uh in high school. And the staff there they were older than me, they were cooler than me. They were like college kids and and maybe there was like an aspirational like oh, when I when I get older I want to be cool kind of thing that happened when I would walk into that store. I think that's why I dropped, like, I think it's also a truncation of modern language. Um, so modern language slang or whatever, but I was thinking about the record store. I was thinking about the kids that worked at the record store, how I wanted to grow up and be one and how I also like hated them. And so this whole thing, this whole, this whole song is, <laughs> is, is just sort of like 
sort of a parody of not necessarily myself, but kind of who I wanted to, who I wanted to be. I mean, it's kind of, I, I find it like, I find it's kind of easy, easiest to make fun of uh, myself lyrically. And I do so whether I want to or not, I just like the recipe for being embarrassed by something that I write is just like, tell the truth, tell all of it. And then like wait four years. And then everything that I thought was cool about it is going to be embarrassing. So that's sort of what's happening in the entirety of this song. <laughs> well, I, I like a good self-deprecating lyric. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. Now the uh, scoff at squares and sweaters. Is that you scoffing at them? Or are you making an observation or are they scoffing at you and everybody else that's walking into the store? Cause they're better than you. No, it, I was thinking of Christmas sweaters. And I, at this point, like, we were, I was still living in my parents' house. I was like, you know, me and my, me and, me and my friends were, we were like starting bands and trying to get into art school and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, the, the romance of the holidays was sort of a rote thing that our, that our parents did. Now, here's the, the footnote is that I, I love the holidays and I love romance. And, and I was going through a fuck this phase, but... I knew that it wasn't going to age well. <laughs> and so I was just writing a song in the moment, sort of making fun of my friends or who I thought I wanted to be or something like that. Um, I, I think it's just in general, it, at that age especially, it felt smart to be critical of something. So being critical, yeah. being critical of the holiday season felt fun and smart, but also just to tear something down and to be a critic is just sort of a a lame boring thing to do and it's not creative and it's actually not it's not greatness and it's not very smart <laughs> so well that's what i'm taught that's what i love about doing this podcast because you could have told me 30 things of what this was about and uh, you know it's it, i'm looking at these lyrics going where is he coming from from this and and, and it, it's great this first verse here, the bass and the drums throughout, uh, the bass is not staccato like the intro. It's moving. I, I, I wrote like in a circular fashion. It's kind yeah. of doing this round round interplay. It, it's awesome. Uh, on the word scoff, there's this like slap echo that goes from left to right. <laughs> Real quick. Remember what that was? That's my green right there. Yeah, that's yeah. my okay. So that, yeah. that's something the producer came with. Okay, yep. cool. It's a it's just a little little cool uh, cool piece of uh, ear candy there. I like that. And there's a double vocal, or I don't know if it's two backing vocals on the ho 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 part. That's the first time you hear more than one vocal there. And was 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 there a reason that you stuck that there? Was that Mike's suggestion, or do you recall? As much as possible. I mean, as much as possible, especially thinking about. When you're writing a song, thinking about how it's going to translate on stage, you just know the parts where the other guys in the band step up to the mic are exciting and fun on stage, both visually yeah. from the audience. And it also tends to be, those tend to be lines that the crowd will be like, oh, everyone on stage is singing, I'll do it too. So part of like the experience of thinking about what this is going to be like playing it live kind of changes the way you approach this vocal arrangements, especially, I think. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits, 
to securing your music with DistroLock. DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one-hit wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the one-hit thunder or was nothing more than a one-hit blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. And now, back to the show. Another reason I asked about uh, digital recording Pro Tools was mm-hmm. th- this is the first time the backing vocals, and it's throughout the song, that they're, they're off time, the vocals. They're, they're kind of disjointed. And I know that's on purpose. They weren't lined up perfectly. And it kind of gives you this kind of ragtag feel, you know, yeah. and that made me go, wait a second. I wonder if this wasn't lined up because they, they, you know, they were doing a tape, but it was it was too off. It was it, it sounded on purpose mm-hmm. uh, at the 34 second mark. I'm not going to call this pre-chorus one. This part's so bizarre. I, I, I'm calling this interlude one because <laughs> after the, the second verse, another interlude happens. I've never used the term interlude on this show before, maybe even ever in my life when describing uh, songs. But this uh, at 34 seconds, this interlude between verse one and verse two, there's like the drums break down and the guitar brings in a brand new feel while the vocals are doing these kind of whoa, whoa, woes. How did you write this part? Like melody wise, like where, where did this come from? <laughs> Sometimes I, I look too linear at songs and I have to step back, but, but this is just like, where did this come from? Sure. Uh, I, I always think of all the who's down in Whoville during this part when we sing it. <laughs> <laughs> The, the song didn't want to go into chorus yet. We'll get to the chorus in, a, in after yeah. the next verse, but I've been fairly wordy so far, so it needed a break. Sometimes you look to like a guitar solo and sometimes you just kind of make a musical interlude. And I guess we were all, we were all feeling it. Um, so yeah, John kind of comes in with something different and yeah, we orchestrated the vocals to do something different too. Yeah. It's awesome. And you know, at the 44 second mark, you're now in verse two. Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the new black downloads are 
lyric is used as the new black. Downloads are the new crack. Mocking carols that we hate. Damn, it's easy being great. Yeah. <laughs> that's. I mean, the, the line that's like the biggest cringe in the whole song, but also like heart of the whole song is damn, it's easy being great. And it's so funny. You know, we'll, we'll still play this song in the holiday season, like for our reunion stuff. And it's so funny singing that, that I, I'm just like, I hope everybody knows, like, this isn't like, uh, <laughs> this is a parody. <laughs> 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 I hope that they don't see us on stage going like, damn, we are the shit. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it, it had to be in here. It's the heart of the song too. So yeah. No, it's awesome. The drums and the bass are holding down the same groove as verse one, but yet another guitar pattern is introduced here. You know, that, that interlude number one, you never hear that again in the song. And yeah. now this guitar pat, this guitar pattern now comes in in verse two and on the mocking carols that we hate just on that one line, an octave guitar comes in here, kind of swirling left and right and back and forth. Downloads are the new crack. Mocking carols that we hate. Do you recall was was again something Mike brought in or, or someone else in the band? Like why just that one line and why that octave guitar there, which is is awesome though. I know. I'm I'm trying to think of like a lot of times when I when I write a song, I'll and I bring it to the band. I have a couple uh, I have a couple comps. Like I can I will have been listening to a certain band, and I'll be like, I'm thinking kind of like this meets this. You know, I honestly don't remember. When you're doing a song basically for a comp, you ask why this wasn't on a record. Well, like when you're doing a song for a comp, there's nothing to lose in being really creative and like, in like, you know, stepping out on the edge and trying new things because it's not going to go on your album. It would honestly, like if you're not the best, if you don't have the best song on a comp, people just skip your song or forget about it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not yeah, going to be a so, That's record. so true. Yeah. It's yeah. so true. <laughs> exactly. So why not try stuff? And I remember that being the mentality. So I don't even know if I had, if we were thinking of other bands or things to borrow, or if we were just like, trying to be weird and experiment. I'm sure there's, I know you mentioned the guitars like almost sounding like synths sometimes. And that yeah. I can say probably came from, we had just done our first UK tour and that band Muse was, uh, oh, yeah. was getting popular over there, but hadn't hit in the States yet. And we were just like blown away by those, like by how his guitar sounded so weird and metallic and synthy sometimes. So I know John was like, getting into a big news phase there. Well, and that totally makes sense with what you were saying too, that you're, you're, you're able to experiment. This is just going on a comp. If no one yeah, likes it, we'll just skip exactly, it. Which, exactly. This is one of the more, this is one of the more adventurous songs to me in your catalog at the 54 second mark. We're at interlude number two. Okay. Not going to call this a pre-chorus. I call this the, the, the next interlude drums are doing the same feel as interlude number one, but very soft on the, on the kick and the ride symbol. The guitar is doing yet another counter melody, another part. And there's this like la da 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 part vocally that's happening here. Then the band swells and stops abruptly before we're into chorus one. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's get high on our supplies in hibernate. December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being 
So to hell with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's get high on art supplies and hibernate. December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being great. You get that lyric in again there. (laughs) And there's harmonies on everything uh, here, but they're very disjointed, as I mentioned. And and I I wrote in my notes, it almost feels like a a campfire sing-along. You know, yeah. you're kind of getting with getting with your friends it, it, it or a holiday sing along. It has that vibe to it. It's it's disjointed, but not in a bad way where you get a, a, a horrible band that can't play and like, oh, this sounds terrible. It, it This was meant to be. Obviously, it, it's perfectly disjointed. I, I just I think it's awesome. Again, there's a brand new feel here. It doesn't follow your traditional drum pattern of, of what you would consider. The drums are doing this just kick and, and, and snare. It, it's it's really interesting. And uh how did that come about? Well, first of all, like the gang vocals of the chorus was another, uh, was us thinking about, hey, when we play this live, like this should be fun. And this feels like it wants to be a sing-along. Isaac, I want to say that some of the guys from Over It might have uh, been starting to work with Mike Green and we met them somewhere around that time. And I think they came in the studio and sang these gang vocals with us. So you get that, you get that feeling of, you know, when you want to do a gang vocal, but every, and, and like half of the room doesn't quite know the part Yeah, and it ends up sounding kind of perfect. Like it's like, everyone's sort of a little like, is this, am I doing it right? Is that the rhythm? Is that the note? Um, and you, and it really like thickens up a gang vocal better than like if everybody was well-practiced on a part. So yeah. sometimes it's like yeah. an asset to do a gang vocal with strangers or people that haven't heard the song basically. So, yeah. And what, what are you getting that lyric in again here? Damn, it's too easy being great. And you say it's too easy here, not just it's easy being great. Uh, bringing bringing that lyric back and 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 set up set up these lyrics for us here in the chorus. If you hadn't like gotten sort of the the theme of the too cool art school narrator me yet by this point, like this is I guess the chorus is just sort of the cliff's notes on uh, yeah screw screw the holidays. This is going on a holidays. Uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a holidays uh, compilation, we're going to be the song that's like, screw this. Yeah. <laughs> at the end here, at the end of the chorus, where, uh, damn, it's too easy being great on great, there's this hi hat delayed weird thing off to the left. It's just like this. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It just yeah. happens for a second. It's too easy being great. And then there's like feedback and. I tried to Google this, Sean. I don't know. And maybe Chris can chime in here. What's it called when you take... I'll grab uh, my guitar. Uh-huh. When you take... You know what I'm going to talk about. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't know what this is called. When you hit this part of your guitar up by the neck... Yep. That's what that's what it is right there. It's a it's a pick rake. And that's, we, that's there. And that... Is that what it's that called? Alone, is it called a pick rake? That's what I just called it. <laughs> I don't okay. know. I think you're recording it here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that that comes in there, and just that tonality, that what I just played, that sounds eerie in and of itself. It's kind of kind of sounds spooky and, and horror movie ish. Sure. So yeah, yeah. That part comes in with a hi hat and then the feedback, and we transition into verse number three, uh, which we're only at a minute and twenty nine seconds in this song, and you've been hit with a ton of information by this point, a ton of parts, and on this particular line. I feel like you were channeling Jello Biafra here almost. I brought you a bottle of wine full of flowers and this final. I know we both 
got like a little Dead Kennedys vibe going on. You say, I brought you a bottle of wine full of flowers and this vinyl. I know we both made it clear. No stupid presents this year. But Snopes.com said if you play Strawberry Fields the wrong way, you can hear Lennon's ghost say. And we're not going to go any further right now. I want you to set, sure. up, set up those lyrics there and talk to me about uh, channeling Jello on those first two lines. Was that subconscious or were you, were you a DK fan or that just happened the, that way? Yeah, I like the Dead Kennedys. I, I, uh, I don't know the reference that I'm referencing at this point, but I might have been. What's the Dead Kennedys <laughs> reference? <laughs> well, it's the first two lines. It was just your vocal delivery of how you sang it. Oh, of you how I sang this, it. Oh, I yeah, it's, lyric, it's like, lyrically. I brought you about the, it's kind of like the, got vibrato in your voice yeah, that happens yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the Dead Kennedys, so that's cool. But I, I, I don't think I was intentionally doing that. <laughs> Okay, That's okay. Awesome. I just thought that was really interesting because it was a different personality that comes out on those two lines that really isn't there uh, in the rest of the song. Those two lines in particular, I brought you a bottle of wine full of flowers and this vinyl, those two lines in particular. The bass uh, and the drums are holding down uh, the groove and the guitar is using like this delay tremolo sound uh, and pattern from verse two. That, that, that has made it back. And when we get to the line, but Snopes.com said, if you play and through the rest of the lyrics here in this verse, there is a guitar run from the intro that comes in here on the left speaker. It's not the spooky riff at the top. It's the other riff. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm, I'm hearing something that I've heard in the song. You're I'm, I'm finally yeah. Hearing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because up to this point, man, it is just all over the place in a great way. Not in a bad, not, not in a bad way. Do you know what year this comp came out? I looked up when the song came out and, and uh, the online seems to think when we added this to streaming services is when it came out, which is not the case. It says 2003 on, on Immortal Records, which, uh, as I said earlier, I, I believe was an imprint of Epic Records. I have a theory, and I don't remember this specifically, but... 2003 was when Blink-182 put out their untitled record and the first song was Feeling This. And I remember feeling this knocking my socks off in terms of like, this patchwork of like the drums are doing one thing and then doing something else. And then the vocals are doing that and the different vocal sound and a different part and a different part. I remember like being really enamored with how that song was like pro tools together, basically. Well, I was, I was shocked just from the fact I didn't know Snopes.com was around back then. I was like, geez, (laughs) they've been around for over almost 20 years. Like that was, that was what really shocked me about that. This part. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I like like dropping that in there. It's fun. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and the lyric, I'll read this lyric again because it leads into the next part. Um, but Snopes.com said, if you play Strawberry Fields the wrong way, you can hear Lennon's ghost say. And I don't know if you ever looked up these lyrics online, Sean, but uh, it basically, it's your first record, Yvonne Dahl Killed the Locals, your first self-released record that was uh, uh, picked up and re-released by Epitaph. It yeah. says it's that backwards. Is that what that is there? Lennon's ghost say. Oh, 
Because yes. it's written it's yes. written backwards here in the, in the online lyrics. That is it. That's so funny. I thought what I say right after that in the lyrics is the is the Beatles line that is backwards on I am the walrus, the I buried Paul. So I answer uh-huh. that. I, you can hear Lennon's ghost say I buried Paul, which is was like, you know, just I don't know. I don't know why I'm putting well, Beatles, that... Beatles trivia into this song, but that's <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> well, well, so so that backwards line here, which is basically, I guess, Yvonne Dahl killed the locals. You you, you ran that backwards. It's kind of panned off to the left. I forgot. And it, <laughs> And it kind of sounds mumbled sounding like, which, which is warbled because it, because it's backwards. Yeah. Um, And then the the very next line, you say, I buried Paul. Yeah. How did that come into the, you know, December's for cynics, uh, you know, December's for critics. You're, you're, you don't like the guy at the sweater at the record store. Now you're talking about the Beatles. What what is going on here? I mean, I got to say that like, I like this verse better than verse one, just as a, just my my songwriting brain i like it when you i like it when a song starts and uh it kind of like verse one is sort of like establishing the, oh here's what we're doing here there's the thesis for the song and then the chorus hammers it home and then by verse two like i got to meander off topic and like maybe i just need to like throw out verse ones and twos and and, ju- and just like just start with <laughs> verse 3 have that be verse 1 and just throw out the nah, first this two is, things this right? is going on this is going on a christmas comp people are just going to skip on, it it doesn't matter yeah 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 but i actually like this one being like being so off topic i, I don't I, like whoever's listening to the song is going to be interpreting these things entirely differently like you said like ah what the song could have been about 20 things i had no idea like it doesn't really matter as long as I give you the right, the right feeling and the right mood, like, and there are some cool lines to quote, like, it doesn't need to be so. Well, I mean, how, how many of <laughs> how many of our favorite songs are the most vague lyric and vague thing ever? And they, you know, That's they right. just resonate. They just resonate. This, this song is cool. Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow, man. <laughs> at one minute and fifty four <laughs> seconds, we're at chorus number two. Yeah. So to hell with holiday romantics. December is for cynics. December is for critics. Let's go buy some takeout and hibernate. December is for critics. Damn, it's too easy being great. So there is a lyrical change here online for let's go buy some takeout and hibernate. I noticed here, Sean, that there's harmonies pretty much throughout, but not on certain words. The harmonies were all over chorus number one uh, and the the gang vocal, I guess. But you say, (laughs) so to hell with, and then holiday romantics, there's nothing on there. Do you recall why it was left off and it wasn't like chorus one? That's a good question. My my guess is that you had the channel muted. <laughs> yeah, that could be it too. <laughs> could definitely be it. Uh, We've less than Jake's done that before. <laughs> uh, my guess is that John actually might go into a unison part there. It wasn't until kind of like late era the matches. I it might have been even post the matches that I figured out that harmonies are just chords that you're playing with vocals. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So I hadn't realized that, like quite how to write a harmony. And I don't think John had either. We would just sing stuff and like, 
you know, there are certain, you can like sing a third and you're like, that sounds good, but it doesn't always sound good. You can't just move a third with the whole thing, you know, like you got to go yeah, with, yeah. The, with the scale. But I hadn't figured out that concept of, of it moving like chords and having to change the, the, the relative space between notes to stay in the scale hadn't occurred to me yet. So when something didn't work, oftentimes we would just sing a unison part or something. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, and, and some, and sometimes that, sometimes that's the only thing that does work. Yeah. You know, totally, that's, totally. That, that, um, you know, this, this chorus feels like chorus one, but the drums are doing completely different fills. There's some stuff going on here. That's just really, really cool uh, on the line. Let's go buy some takeout and hibernate between the words taken out, there's this crazy drum fill that just doesn't feel like it should work. It's like going off the rails. Like, where did that come from? You know, it's not in chorus one. So again, talking about digitally recording through Pro Tools, a lot of times you'll paste chorus one and chorus. I'm like, this isn't the same feel as any of the choruses. Like, what the heck is going on here? But but it's so great. I like on the last line here, damn, it's too easy. And then being great is just you alone. It just gives you that, that moment. It's just a vocal. And now we're into yet another part. And this bridge is awesome. Being great. Two minute and 13 second mark. Uh, the drums are broke down almost a jazzy feel. Here's where it gets jazzy to me. It's This is a feel that that not a lot of bands we were running with back then could could have had this feel. You know, and I hearken back to what Brett said. These guys are rippers. When I first talked to Gurowitz about you guys, he's like, cool. the musicianship is through the roof. And I remember touring with you and watching you side stage. You, you guys were were on fire. The guitar is doing like what I call volume swells. It's where like it sounds like a violin where the you know you're turning the, the volume up and down. I don't know if it was that or a volume pedal. That's what it was. Yeah, really, that's what it was. It was the volume knob. Volume volume yeah. it's such a cool effect. At the two minute and twenty-third second mark, there's I don't know if it's like a wah pedal with like a delayed flange guitar off to the left speaker. Uh, and then at two minutes and thirty-two seconds, the drums hit a more straightforward groove, and the guitar off to the left is doing a high-pitched lick, while the guitar on the right is playing an octave lower counterpart to that. For the next six seconds from 240 to 246, there's three stop patterns, you know, where the band's like, you know, digga, 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 done. And it happens three times uh, before this cool, fast guitar sweep happens to the left. And a sweep uh, is something like Ingve Malmsteen does, like, it's like this really fast arpeggio. It's, it, you're like skipping strings. And it's just, I'm like, at this point in the song, I go, where did this come from? Like who yeah. thought of this? It's <laughs> off to the left, um, and that part. When after that happens, it takes us into chorus three. But I love this bridge. You want to talk about taking you somewhere? This takes you on a little ride. Cool, 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 cool. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I know for the volume, the volume pot uh, thing is a trick that I stole from Greg from Zebrahead, uh, the guitar oh, yeah. player from Zebrahead. He, he was great at that. Incredible <laughs> yeah. guitar player and very innovative. He was like. You know, 
he was like a muse caliber guitar player. I think Greg tunes into this show sometimes. If you're listening, Greg, how you doing, buddy? I miss you. Yeah, Greg, he's he's awesome. Too. Awesome. Yeah, he is. He, he is so. He's awesome. incredible. And then and the, yeah, the stuff John is doing is like super Joe Cetriani or Ingve or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And I didn't yeah. I didn't even say arpeggiato guitar part because arpeggios to me are kind of like more like like picking. But you can do fast right. super. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. calling this what we used to call in the '80s a sweep. It's like like whoa, like it's just it it came out of nowhere. Uh, and then we're into chorus uh, number three, which is a double chorus here at the end of the song. So- So to hell with holiday romantics, December is for cynics, December is for critics. Harmonies on all of those lines, but it's only drums here. Again, the vocals are not lined up. Sounds really disjointed, but really cool. Backyard campfire sing-along. The next line is just a melody. Melody. There's no harmony on this. Let's just try to sleep late and hibernate. Yet another lyric, new lyric. December is for cynics. Damn, it's too easy being. You don't say being great. You leave it hanging being. Uh, On that line, it's too easy being. The guitars come back in there. Prior to that, it was just the drums again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it sounds like a fake out almost before you get into the back half of chorus three here. In between, the first half has just drums. When it says December is for critics before the new line here, let's just try to sleep late and hibernate. The guitar comes in here for two chords. Jing, jing. Only. And then it goes back to drums, which I thought is was really cool. Do you, do you remember that part and how that came about? You know, probably like channeling some Radiohead creep kind of to do something. You know, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Those, those big those things are always fun when you're just like when everybody pauses and something that like shouldn't be that musical happens <laughs> those are always like hooks of moments right well the last uh half of chorus three here the back half so to hell with holiday romantics december is for cynics december is for critics let's get by on nyquil and hibernate i love that line uh <laughs> december <laughs> is for cynics damn it's too easy being great on the last line here there's harmonies throughout everything i just read even on the word damn, but then there's no harmony on it's two. And that's the last you hear of the rhythm section, the band going dun dun. And then it's just you alone, Sean, saying easy being great. And that's how the song ends. Another little haunting uh, sprinkle on top of this already uh, haunting uh, holiday song. <laughs> yeah, sugar cookie it. Yep. <laughs> what was your reaction when you first heard this whole this whole monster put together. You're in the studio, you're listening back to it. Was everybody into it or was it just, ah, it's going on a comp, people are going to skip it? We were really excited about it. Um, I, the the last stuff that we had recorded in studio for Yvonne Dahl, Kill the Locals, I think we had, ju- we were ju- we had just finished that stuff up um, the year before maybe. And like the tail end of those sessions, we were you know, when you get towards the end of an album, similarly, you can kind of start experimenting more. You don't have to be as safe. Like you've got 
some songs you think are good so you can be a little weird and see if something cool happens or if you ruin your record whatever but we had gotten into that and we had been able to play some of that stuff for an audience and we we're like oh they like the weird stuff this is kind of cool you never know like and and so yeah. that kind of pushed us into this realm too so we were excited but we hadn't i don't remember how long it was before we got to actually work out the live arrangement because when you when you work in pro tools sometimes things are so like you don't really have to worry about like which order you're pressing pedals in to get different sounds and stuff yeah. so a lot of times you have to go into the rehearsal space and like figure out compromises and ways to get from point a to point b in terms of guitar sounds and who could do what and like hey can you play this thing from the bass line in the recording on your guitar yeah. so that i can switch over you know like i remember that being a big undertaking with this song yeah and and but when we actually got to play it live we sort of get saved by the crowd on this one like just when it gets to be like we're like oh my god i can't like I, I, I can't compute. I'm gonna like, I got steam coming out of our ears trying to keep the tones right and changing at the right time. And then it just gets to that, so to hell. And then the crowd just sings over us. Takes and over. we can all just kind of like, oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, the last thing I want to finish up with here, I just want to tell you, I, I really feel like you guys were ahead of your time. I feel like you were really innovative. I hear uh, hints and notes. Uh, of your music still today. Uh, I heard it through the 2000s to the, even the 2010s and now in the 2020s through bands such as Panic at the Disco, My Chemical Romance, Ice Nine Kills, and uh, a, a number of other bands. I continue to hear flourishes of, of what I what I consider your sound. And you guys are you guys are awesome. Um, if you could leave, leave the listeners with what's going on. I know we, we talked a little bit at the top here, but uh, what's going on with you coming up or, or, or the matches? Yeah, uh, and for me, I, I still do music. Uh, I do solo stuff. My solo project's called Saint Ranger. It's uh, ST period space Ranger. And uh, you can find me on Instagram with my, I have a record club called Pretend Record Club where me and my friend uh, Tim DeVille take turns producing each other's tracks. So if, uh, if you're all about, and, and, we, and each one of them gets sent out as vinyl. So it's kind of a, a quarterly thing that we do biannually. <laughs> and then, uh, and uh, beyond that, the matches, we've written an album and uh, we're arranging it and we'll see if we ever record it. We've got to see what Mike Green is up to these days. But um, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe new stuff or maybe we get back together and do whatever anniversary is coming up in five years. You know, there's always one. I, I'm, I'm going to do an online petition to, to get a Santa cause. It's a punk rock Christmas part two. OK, awesome. you got to write the sequel. You got to write the sequel to this one. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> awesome thanks sean thank you chris that was really fun hey everybody don't touch that dial there's plenty more chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. If you're looking for an inexpensive and unique gift for a friend, family member, or even for yourself, check out iloveenamelpins.com. From Hollywood stars like Jeff Goldblum and Meryl Streep 
to fictional characters like the Golden Girls or Jack Torrance, to sports stars and musicians and politicians and dogs and cats, there's something for everyone at iloveenamelpins.com. As an added bonus, use the discount code CHRISTAMAKES at checkout to save 30% off your order at iloveenamelpins.com. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is The Thieves About from San Diego, California. They're a high-energy rock band consisting of Jay Scott Gavin on vocals and guitar, Brian Ullery on drums, John Rikes on guitar, and Andrew Williams on bass. Here's a snippet of their song, We Go Down. I know the roads to make it right We hang a love dial 69 We ride all through the night As we go down Spinning around and around again As we go down Won't you come along my friend As we go down Spinning around and around again The Rap with Chris and Chris. Oh boy, was I excited for that episode. As you know, Chris, I've been wanting to do a December is for Cynics episode forever. I'm not lying when I say it's my favorite holiday slash Christmas song ever, even though <laughs> it's kind of, in a way, making fun of the Christmas season. But I just think this song rocks. This song is, in everything that Sean said, down to this producer, Mike, he got a brand new place. He moved from the Bay Area to LA. He was trying to figure out what sounds good. I mean, everything that he was talking about lended its Itself. Yeah, the song's just going to be on a comp. If people don't like it, they can skip it. It it, it led to this being the monster that it is. I, I took so many notes in this song. Uh, it, it took me forever to, to, to get through them, I felt, in the episode. It was so much here. <laughs> yeah, it's a monster of a song. And I love the matches. And I feel like my band Punchline has a lot of parallels with them. I recently saw their documentary called Bleeding Audio. It's great. It's awesome. As you brought up, in the episode, Chris, I feel like this band, this band was very popular, but I feel like they could have been even way more popular just based on, yeah, I think maybe they were a little bit ahead of their time in certain aspects. I do too. Whatever. All that stuff aside, I felt like a lot of similarities in our band's story and much like he was saying, uh, Punchline got asked to be part of this same comp. And we were like, oh, hell yeah. We saw the list of bands that were going to be on it. Oh, Blink 182's on this. Oh, all these, like, the Mighty Mighty Boston's are on this. This is amazing. But we got asked to be on it, but they were like, yo, you got to submit your song in like three days. So we wrote a song and went to a studio and recorded it. And it is the most patchwork song ever. And it's called Ice Schools. Yet, Fans of ours love it. When we listen to it, we're kind of like, oh my God, we threw that thing together so fast. And it's just like a patchwork of things. And it kind of sounds similar to what the matches did here. Although I think the matches song is way better than ours. Well, he, he kind of echoed those sentiments too. That kind of like, eh, it was just this song for a comp. It was kind of like, yeah, it was, we patched this together in this guy's new studio. And that's why I asked him. I said, when you heard it back, do you, do you like the song? He's like, oh yeah, we still play it. The audience loves it. It's great when we get to the chorus. So I'm, gr- I'm glad he's embraced it because at first it was just like, it almost was like, wait, is this a throwaway song for these guys? How could it be? <laughs> Dude, I was laughing because I know everyone out there listening can't see 
you guys. But the whole time, Sean was smiling and laughing. I think he felt that he, he referenced it. He said, I got that I missed the bus Mike Park energy referencing the Mike Park episode where Mike was kind of like, oh, you're bringing up this cringeworthy old song or whatever, like where he felt embarrassed. But like, I'm thinking to myself over here, dude, I've been rocking this song out this week. <laughs> there is nothing cringy about this song at all. I feel like it rocks. I feel like you were asking him a lot about like, what does this mean? And when I listen to this song, I don't know if I just take away my own meaning. I do get that it's kind of parody. I picture like the guy in the black turtleneck and glasses who's do- too good for Christmas. Dude, I almost think about, you know, in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her husband who like live next door and they like have whatever. They don't celebrate Christmas. They have like the black Christmas tree <laughs> or whatever. I picture those characters. falls and breaks his neck. I'm sure he'll fall, but I don't think we're lucky enough to have him break his neck. Let's go. But I get it. I love the verse about like, hey, you and your significant other saying, hey, no stupid presents this year. We're going to listen to records and we're going to hang out. And I just think as me being somewhat of a Scrooge about the holidays, I just like relate to this song and and I love it. Yeah, no, I don't. It's it's really interesting. I've had that a number of times, not just Mike Park. There's, there's been other times uh, on this show. And when I talk to to bands on the road or, or, or friends and, and people I meet and just like, hey, I really like that lyric. Like what? I, you know, I wrote that in the back of my van when I was drunk one night. That's a, that's a lame lyric. You know, there, there's nothing to be embarrassed about in these lyrics. And, you know, I take away kind of the literal meaning uh, kind of as you did. But uh, at the same time, I, I asked him those questions. What are you saying here? Cause I was trying to get in his mind of where, who, who's the squares and the sweaters here. Is that you or is that them? And, and I, I, I loved how he started to, to, to describe it. It was great. I love that. He said, I hope everybody knows this is parody, <laughs> but that lyric is the heart of the song. And man, the matches had such a cool, I don't know, image about them and such a cool energy and vibe to their band uh you know songs aside if you looked at the guys or saw them live someone could have thought that like oh this this lead singer this band he's gonna be an asshole or whatever this was the nicest most humble dude like when i was watching this like i i told him this after we finished recording i'm like i feel like i'm friends with you and i want to be friends with this guy he's like the nicest dude like the complete opposite of maybe this character that he portrays somewhat in the songs or whatever it's just not him it's so humble you know no and, and it's, it's funny i haven't talked to sean in probably 13 or 14 years and it was like we picked right back up and uh, you know we're back in the dressing room on tour 14 years ago he's just uh, they were always such such great guys and i was careful about uh, the the words i chose earlier you know it's you never know what what's going to strike a nerve with somebody like, your band should have been bigger but i just feel this band were so so ahead of their time and and uh, more people should should know about them they're great I agree with that, but also they're a pretty popular band. Oh yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like not in, to... in their time, yeah. like they 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 did well. Absolutely, you know. So absolutely, I think about that all the time. You know, when I'm thinking about my own band or whatever, is like grass is always greener. And when it comes to that sort of thing, you sure. know, and sometimes if I'm down on myself, like oh, I wish my band was bigger or whatever, I gotta think about the fact that like, oh wait a second, my band has 
uh, achieved more success than probably ninety nine percent of bands ever. Oh yeah, and so, the ma- and, you know, you and the matches are in uh, in that department as well. They for sure had uh, and and seeing them live back then, uh, the the audience went crazy for them. They were rabid for them. They had a great live show, and no, they 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 made it uh, <laughs> in the sense of you. Hey, hey, did your band make it? Yeah, these guys made it. But uh, I feel that uh, more people should have known about. It. I think they're they're just a, an amazing band. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also, Chris, one more thing I want to talk about was and i think about this in songwriting too but sean brought up thinking about hey this is going to be fun to sing live like with the audience when you're you're writing and recording something i know less than jake has to do that right um there's been times mostly in the early stuff but you know before because we were writing songs that were were taken straight from the warehouse to the stage we weren't recording them right. so it was definitely in the early days more thought of in that sense wait this is going to be a great sing-along and no doubt this chorus in december is for cynics i haven't seen the matches play this live in person but you better believe i'm going to have chills from head to toe and be singing along so loud if i ever have the pleasure of seeing this song live and speaking of chills from head to toe chris I cannot wait to announce next week's guest. I am stoked. <laughs> I know you can't. I know you can't, but you got to hold off a few more days. I know <laughs> you're ready to tell the whole world about this one. I know you've been waiting for this one for a long time, but you got to keep it a secret for a few more days, Chris. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm like a kid at the holidays. I got to tell you, you know, last year for uh, December, we had the holiday special with the Vandals. We had Joe Escalante on, which was a lot of fun. And and this year, we, we, we've done two. We had uh, Sean with the matches with December is for Cynics, uh, today's episode. But next week, we have another one. We're doing a two for this year, uh, Chris. Yeah, you consider next week's uh, a holiday one, huh? Yeah, I guess so. kind of. It, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the tail end of the episode, we're going to get into it. But uh, yeah, okay. man, it's just been it's been a lot of fun. I can't believe we're about to wrap up another year uh, going on two years now. Next June of 2022, it'll be two years of this uh, podcast. I don't know where the time has went, but it's been uh, an absolute blast. You have been doing a great job as host of this podcast, Chris, because I got to say that I know it's not easy to get on the podcast. Okay, maybe it's a little easier when it's somebody you've known for a long time. It's your friend and it's not so hard. But when you get on here with someone you don't know and you instantly have to break the ice and then dive into some piece of art that they've created from their heart and really like get into the nuts and bolts of it, that takes a lot, man. Not everyone can do that. So I commend you very highly for that. Well, I appreciate this, Chris. Your check's in the mail. Um, <laughs> I, I, To be honest with you, I've only had, out of all these episodes we've done in the last year and a half, there's only been maybe one or two hiccups where it's been a little weird, and that's to be expected. You know, just because uh, guys are in bands or you know people are in bands that are they're, they're the front people a lot of the time that I talk to, they're not always the uh, alpha male or female. Sometimes they just are, are awkward, and it's hard to talk to, to people. Luckily for me, most people have been very engaging and easy, but there has been a couple hiccups but uh i'm glad there hasn't been been any more than that yeah but uh i like what we're doing i'm glad we're going to keep on doing it into the new year and and onward and upward and i'm excited for what we have coming in the new year too man but hey i'm focusing on the moment now we are in the thick of the season tis the season man tis the season we hope each and every one of you out there are safe happy, and most importantly, sane this time of the year. We'll see you next week. I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Sean Harris from The Matches. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. 